Hey, how's it going? It's Doug Bird here, your host of the Something Fresh podcast, where we talk about all things sport, adventure, and lifestyle. To bring these conversations to life, we connect with people who make things happen in this space, be they industry leaders, athletes, influencers, or progressive thinkers, to name a few. I'm super passionate about this subject, not only because of its ever-changing dynamics, but also because of the role that it plays in our daily lives. The aim of the show is simple. Create an environment where people can learn through the experiences of others, be they established role players or new kids on the block, and hopefully through that, become inspired into action in some way. If that's not up your alley and you're simply here to listen to interesting conversations, then that's cool too. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. As we know, life has changed as we know it, and I don't know when it will be coming back online to whatever normal is or was or whatever that might be, of course, in the sportive landscape. People have had to adapt to the challenges that COVID has uh, laid out in front of them. Some have made them. Some have made it through. Others haven't. Some are still struggling with it. And it goes from an events uh, goes without saying. It's affected events, but it's also affected athletes, which in turn has affected sponsorships and whether they can continue to be professionals in this space or not. And today we're catching up with Tyron Rawlins. He's the owner of One Movement, which is a South African-based company, does many things. One of those things is athlete management. And he has a wealth of experience, despite what it might, it might seem. <laughs> he has a wealth of experience in this space, having been a professional sportsman himself. Um, he, know what, he knows what's up. He's got a great network as well. And he's got a great portfolio of athletes that he manages and continues to grow into that space. So we thought it'd be worthwhile. Hey, J-Dog, catching up with a man that knows more about this than we do and maybe ask him some questions about what he thinks about this whole scene. Yeah, I mean, his 5K time getting to Crispy Kremen back is, is un, <laughs> unparalleled from what I've heard. <laughs> so, so we started this off by going, look, he's fat. I'm not fat. I'm wearing Doug's jacket because uh, he didn't tell me that the aircon was broken onto freezing here. And studio, uh, Jay is onto a second box of Crispy Creams already. I'm trying to fatten up for winter. Don't judge me. No, but very keen, very keen for the, this conversation. I mean, I've had a, a dipping of the toes into the athlete world myself, like trying to figure out what, what that's about. And I'd say it might be a South African-specific uh, context or maybe globally, but the, I, I find when all you really see is the output of an athlete's life on social media or at events, etc., you don't really get an understanding for what goes on behind the scenes. We may be starting to see more of that now with the more lifestyle kind of YouTube channels that athletes are putting out. But a lot of younger aspiring athletes, I don't think they have a clue what it, what it really takes um, from them to be an athlete. And you tie obviously someone who, who knows what it takes, uh, what has to go on behind the scenes, um, what kind of yeah, practical skills you need in terms of personal management, business management as your, your own business, your own brand. Brand building. Yeah, exactly. All that kind of things that I certainly wasn't aware of until I've started getting more exposed to this world. And I think young and aspiring athletes would do well to, to learn more about or parents of young aspiring athletes that want to help their kids uh, achieve their, their dreams or ambitions in that regard and know how to steer them in the right direction. So yeah, definitely very keen for, for the conversation today. I thought at one point it was going to be a monologue there. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to put down and leave. <laughs> cool, well Jay's got this. Should we go back to Krispy Kremes? <laughs> well, we can't because he's eaten them all. But yeah, valid valid points there, J-Dog. I, I suppose I haven't really considered it from, from that perspective either. Um, and to take us on this journey, I think Ty, give us a little bit more context on, on what your journey's been, you know, I think it, it will add to, to further down the conversation where we start to unpack the real details of where people can hopefully listen and learn from this, but learning comes at the 
price of having made mistakes and figuring, yeah. figured things out on your own and <clears throat> with the South African context in mind. Tell us a little bit about your journey because you've done quite a bit in your professional sporting career and it hasn't just been limited to water sports. You've dabbled in quite a lot. Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> my dad was uh, a big influence on the sports. He kind of always said that uh, variety is key. Uh, growing up school sports obviously everything from rugby to water polo cricket soccer swimming i would say chess but that was short-lived because it's quite a smart game <laughs> at least you're honest with yourself eh? um I, I even played badminton at one stage there was a lot of running around so i stopped apparently the fastest way in the world to get a six-pack is badminton oh really yeah <laughs> Did you actually read that somewhere? Besides, I've been informed by multiple sources really? of that fact. Yeah. Do they have six packs? <laughs> Which leads me to believe it's true. Not badminton players themselves, but uh. yeah. Fun fact. <laughs> and you can see Tyron didn't, uh, didn't stick to the badminton exactly. <laughs> trajectory. Yeah, but uh, growing up in Amstlanga, coastal town, uh, obviously had all the ambition in the world to try and become a professional surfer we've got to go catch some waves brew exactly but uh, growing up in the era that i did we had a multitude of talent who have gone on to sit on the wct the likes of davy where travis logie um, in my age division alone we had ricky basnett uh, warwick wright uh, the the Redmond brothers, the Payne brothers, surprisingly as well, if you want to talk about big athletes. And uh, there was also this younger um, Geordie Smith that seemed to keep coming into the older age groups and giving us all a hiding. So, yeah, so surfing, I surfed uh, provincially and then out of school, got involved with uh, the, the flow rider, the stationary wave that they had built in, in Gateway. Is that so you didn't have to paddle out to backline? Exactly, no paddling, it was perfect. <laughs> you just jump on and go. Lots that, of scorpioning. But that was where I got my first real taste of like the big league athletes, the, the Kelly Slaters, Tony Hawks, um, Terje Harkinson. I met Sean White when he was 14 years old. So <laughs> it was a really cool experience over like five years of like traveling around the world doing exhibition shows and then for surfing or for 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 flowboarding okay yeah and then uh got into kiteboarding started <laughs> <laughs> took a while if you listen carefully you'll hear it drop <laughs> the penny i don't know what we're talking there about there we now. go i've lost continue <laughs> your exhibition shows and kiteboarding and flowboarding yeah yeah so i started kiteboarding thanks doug throwing me off there <laughs> <laughs> um started kiteboarding uh was involved at a kite shop where well uh, distribution for slingshot kites and manufacturing of cyclone boards and then i went on to the world tour where i finished third in 2006 and moved back and ended up in cape town uh, where i then went through a multitude of different uh, industries uh, starting with uh, print media i was always freelancing whilst on tour and then got more into editorial uh, with the magazines before some oh, reason uh, getting into restaurants I don't recommend it because that was the end of my athletic body <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of tasting but you also can't trust a, uh, a skinny, skinny chef, chef. Yep. and uh, yeah th uh, from there also moved into uh, a bit of uh, retail and, and clothing as well as the energy drink market had a stint at Monster Energy as their athlete and marketing manager right in the beginning before moving into events where I've now kind of settled. I've, well, 
No, well, no, we haven't settled. We've uh, been thrown upside down. Evolved. So, yeah, so after going to events in 2011, uh, when I started One Movement, with the aim of always moving towards the athlete management space. So I used the events as an opportunity to grow my network and just really refine the offering that I wanted to give to athletes. Uh, because it really does hold many similarities you're pitching to you're pitching an idea to a client for an event when you're looking for a sponsor you having to work out a value proposition to give to them and you're having to execute and deliver on all of those offers to show that return on investment for for the uh, for the sponsor um, and then yes slowly but surely I started moving into athlete management uh, Luke Moore's dad actually contacted me and he asked for help initially and we started slowly that way and then obviously COVID hit and stopped all events where we then were started writing for giving out more information to athletes and started doing a handful of articles utilizing people within the industry we did some stuff with uh, Seth Hulley we had Davey Weir, Ricky Basnett, uh, Lance Isaacs, uh, Anthony Reynard I got a whole multitude of different sports men and women uh, we, we chatted to the youth olympic gold medalist triathlete uh, amber schliebosch as well as geordie smith and they came on and gave us a lot of their insight um, spoke to some industry members i already mentioned uh, seth hulley uh, broad Foslu, where the guys were going from their side what they want to see as an as an athlete manager or brand manager uh, what they expect to see when a proposal lands on their desk mm. how they expect a athlete to conduct themselves because they're busy <laughs> so it's not that you're not hearing from them it's just they've got so much other things to do that they've received your email or they've received your report just because they haven't replied hey thanks so much and giving you a long thesis to it they've they've seen it yeah. and, and they've moved on but it is still good to always make sure you're doing a monthly report and you're updating them on on results and yeah, and that's where we've how we've ended up here, and we're now sitting at uh, eight really fun athletes, uh, both in the competitive sphere as well as uh, within uh, social media, which is the new the new thing. Un yeah. Unfortunately, for for a lot of like the top end athletes, it's it is a bit unfortunate because there are some lesser skilled athletes getting better deals just because. This is the new thing. You mm. need to be multi-talented across all the spheres in order to justify your return. Because, mm. yeah, results alone are not going to get you what mm. you're looking for anymore. Yeah, with events being decimated, the platform to showcase your skills and your talents and your performances falls away. So um, brands still need to sell stuff and they need to adapt into being seen in, in other areas that are non-event related. So it's a... <coughs> I would say it's definitely forced a bunch of people to to upskill in yep. terms of what they mm. in terms of what they can offer. So I mean, basically, on everything that you've touched on there in terms of your journey, you've you've ticked the box of being a professional athlete. You've rubbed shoulders with some of the biggest sport of names that are out there. Um, from a business point of view, you've built your own business. You know what's involved in terms of building your own personal brand. But then you've also had those corporate links with Monsters and others where you've then understood what it is from a brand's point of view to um, to add value to the space. So, you know, how, how do brands see things in different ways um, and all of that coming together to put you into the position where you can really advise 
your team on what they need, not just in one or two sportive, uh, I would say, categories, but I mean, to be honest, many, because what is your take on it? I mean, I, I look at athletes and, and the structure of, for me, an error that people make in looking at as, as athletes is that they look at themselves as athletes. They don't look at themselves as brands. And that's ultimately what you're building, right? For sure. So in terms of those fundamentals, you would encourage them to, to stick to a clear process, to be consistent and to be patient. Because I think that's, that's probably one of the things that jumps out for me the most is that instead of sticking to a process, backing themselves, because that's what the investment is, essentially sticking, sticking to the process. They're not necessarily as an athlete having to go out there and put two, two million rand on the table to start their company because they need equipment and so on and so forth. Yes, they're your lifestyle costs, but they will be there regardless of whether you rode or not. Um, so there's no real big capital outlay. Um, in, in the context of, of business and how it normally works but what you do have to put in is the time and what you do have to make sure is that is that you're consistent um, how in that process I mean how do you go about choosing the athletes you work with are you are you happy to take on athletes that are like right at the very beginning or do you find it's easier to to work with athletes that are kind of midway through their journey because some of the guys you've got in your portfolio are very well established yeah so we've i've never gone out and hunted for an athlete um i believe the the first step of the journey is that they need to know that they need the help um and all the athletes have approached me uh it is a process it is i mean this is even even with I've, i represent eight athletes across various uh, sporting codes and the first thing i say to them is like this is not going to happen overnight you don't just send out a cv or a spray and pray which a lot of athletes do and that's their biggest mistake is that they just build a cv and they go right send to all and hope that somebody will come back to them thing is in these industries although it's all competition most of these guys all speak to each other so generally a lot of the times the brand managers will go i can see this has just been like built and sent to everyone and when they're at an event, they might chat to each other and go, hey, I got, a see, I got a sponsorship proposal from X. And they're like, oh, so did I. And it's literally a copy and paste gone, gone through to, to all. The, it needs to be tailored for each specific brand and what the, the athlete's value would be to that brand. Another common mistake from athletes is, like you said, the lifestyle cost. They go, well... This is my rent, this is my car, my insurance, blah, 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 blah. And this is how much it's going to cost for me to travel. So they must give me 500,000 Rand for the year. But are you worth 500,000 Rand? Are you worth a million Rand? And you've undersold yourself. Um, that's where we sit down and we dissect it and we have to work out between all your, your assets, what are you actually worth? Because your social media, I mean, this has been the big go-to thing now. How many followers do you have on social media? And it's like, well, what does that matter? Because at the end of the day, if you've got a thousand people and you're engaging with, and a thousand people are engaging with you, and if you were to say, enter this competition, and all the thousand entered the competition, is that not of higher value than someone with 10 to 15,000 followers who gets a hundred people into a competition? So that the number game, a lot of like, I'd say probably that stopped last year when people started asking how many followers do you have 
because they've realized it's it's a number it's more nuanced than that it's, yeah, yeah a, a number people can there's plenty of ways to get that number up but it's your authentic engagement that you that you wanting to to really have mm. so, I, I suppose that what that's what brands are doing now is like questioning perceived influence versus real influence and is social media influence something that is is tangible i believe it absolutely is in certain ways and there's there's different ways of measuring it i do think brands often make the mistake of measuring false outcomes or being i would say misguided in what they would expect social media to deliver in terms of outcomes unrealistic for the most part Um, and i think that's a lack of experience on brand managers points uh, from a brand manager's point of view because there's two parts to the puzzle of course or two two sides to the coin so to speak but it's uh, I mean, we, we use the I use the example quite often, and um, those of you listening in, it's worthwhile checking him out. His name is Dr. Mike Posthumus. He's the head of uh, high performance down at the Sports Science Institute in Cape Town. If you go and look at his social media channels, you'll see maybe I think one or two, or perhaps three thousand people, um, and yet he his influence is is reaches far beyond that, just through his status, what he what he does for a living. The different sportive spaces he plays in from cycling to swimming to rugby to you name it he's someone for me that that has far more value mm-hmm. as an influencer than someone that's got fifty thousand followers because you know if mike posthumous says something folks are going to listen yeah um, and i suppose a global um, example of that is is elon musk in the sense that Elon Musk says Dogecoin's the way to go and everyone's putting their money into Dogecoin. Elon Musk says Bitcoin's environmentally destructive, everyone's binning Bitcoin. That's real influence. You know, sitting out there and going, this new tie is amazing and I'm saying this because my sponsors pay me to isn't sincere. That's a really tough job though for an athlete to differentiate how they go about doing what they do because those days of typical sponsorships of just wearing a cap and drinking an energy drink on a podium and wow look at this amazing new woo device you know and they've got woo stickers all over it's like how do we how do we get past that and and when does it start to become more authentic because that i would imagine in terms of managing your athletes is probably one of the trickier parts yeah so i mean one of the things we do have in negotiations with brands is content creation and making and breaching that uh authentic feel to to posts and to to sales um yes there's certain things that you can't get certain times you can't get away from the this is a blatant post but there's also telling the guys to not just again going back to being patient um too many guys sell themselves short for the quick buck Uh, a brand approaches them and goes yeah can you uh promote our um, I've got to be careful here now. <laughs> so, oh, so yeah, like they'll go, yeah, cool. We'll we'll pay you for for the next month to promote our donuts, exactly. And uh, the athlete will do it because it's an immediate injection, but it's not a long term sustainable injection. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing is they're damaging themselves because now that's also they've set their benchmark too. Is that <clears throat> or that's what they're willing to do. And agencies can contact them then and once they're on the books for an agency they'll be like cool well now we have uh, this new dishwashing liquid can you please uh, do that <laughs> we'll pay you five grand for the month to do it yeah and they just start pulling in everything they can uh from from that side so it really is a it is a process it's time consuming it's 
it's really going what do you what do you want long term where do you want to be long term um what are the brands that you want to be with because if you want to be with and i'll use no i won't use anyone yes i will i'll use crispy let's stick to donuts <laughs> if you want to be a sponsor by crispy cream don't accept the dunkin donut sponsor first because it was put there and you didn't get the response you wanted from Krispy Kreme. So if that's what you want, go out and, and work for it and get to it. And, you know, something that people also don't do is when they get a no response. <clears throat> like, a lot of the time, it's like, hey, sorry, budgets are full. Uh, the, the general, like, mm. budgets are full or uh, it's not our, our period now, our team's, our team's full. And Reply back. Thank, thank you for taking the time to reply to me and hopefully actually having read the proposal um when when are your budget periods when uh mm. do you relook at your team what from from what i presented uh would you be able to give me some tips as to how Absolutely. i could potentially work towards being on your team don't just go oh well they said no i'm going to move on to their competition now because like i said these brand managers all speak and eventually it'd come down the line even if you got sponsored by Dunkin Donuts, the marketing manager of Krispy Kremes would be like, oh, cool, so they settled for you because they asked us and we said no. That's not mm. going to leave you in a, in a good uh, perception with your current sponsor anyway. So it is, just be patient and it is a process. It's not a quick overnight thing, but it will all work out if it's done properly. And that, and that leaves athletes again in a precarious situation because often you do need just that little bump every month or so where it might be the five or the ten grand to, to get you through. Um, but that's, that's where like those are almost the most important times to say no because ultimately that's where, that's where your risk comes. And, and something that I've talked about in one of the previous podcasts uh, was actually in our last one with Matt Beers in saying that why would a brand consider sponsoring you as an athlete if you're not prepared to take risk on building your own brand yourself? So if you aren't prepared to hold down the fort for four months, five months, six, seven months, whatever is required to be patient to get the brand that you want and you're happy to take anyone that comes through the door, why would anyone take the risk on giving you a meaningful opportunity? Because they would almost see your erratic behavior as as a risk themselves because that's important thing to understand when athletes are partnering with people it's a brand risk you know it's not it's not you can't control that individual like yes they end up in a contract and they there's do's and don'ts and so on and so forth but i mean we've we've seen athletes around the world the biggest names in in sport like i mean lance armstrong is the first to jump to mind the the brands are at risk of people making silly decisions um, and, and there being real consequences for that. And I think a long way, what goes a long way in showing athletes or showing brands that you are someone that can be trusted and that you are um, someone that understands the value of what they're doing, then they're far more inclined to, to partner with you. But further to that, when they do, it's not going to be the million rand agreement that you hope for up front it's probably going to start like in the 50 to 100,000 rand and you're going to build up to that over time as they see that they're prepared to take more risk on you of course and it's also about the value that you put out there because if you put all your cards on the table and you get that 100,000 uh, rand instead of the million rand you're looking for that's it what else are you going to offer so you need to be prepared in the negotiation process that if you went there with an a million rand offer and you said we were going to do X, Y, and Z, 
and they go, cool, we can give you 100,000 Rand. You can't still do X, Y, and Z. You, you too need to be in the position to negotiate to bring that price down where, it, where it's good for both of you, where the brand's still going to get their, their desired return on investment. They're still going to get the outcomes that they're looking for, but at 100,000 Rand, not at a million Rand. And the, the athlete needs to be strong enough to have those conversations mm. or in the position to go, cool, am I going to walk away from this? in the hope that it's not calling a bluff but it is you you know you're worth more you're not giving discounts yeah. yeah it's not and again like when we say value you need to know your your real value it's not i have a i have ten thousand followers on instagram and i got a podium at a provincial race it's like what are you actually doing and and knowing the influence knowing that because you ride x bike you know straight away five people that bought that bike purely based on you or you got a new helmet and guys are like oh where do i get that helmet from and the the sale was done purely based on on you that is that is where your value really lies not in our post seven times a week mm. and i get a hundred likes on on every pick although again that also does hold its own value uh but then yeah it's, where, it's, where does it, it fit into the it, ladder of value it's a whole it's a i mean it's a it's more like a big pot yeah. than, a, than a ladder because not one thing is more important than the other. Uh, the results are important. The, who you are as a person outside of your sport is also important. Like, do you portray the straight down the line athlete, um, arrives, does their warm up, does their race, stands on the podium and disappears, but then out on the town, you're a wild animal. You're a wild animal. Uh, it really there's and again sports has a place for, for everyone, ev everyone. Mm. Um, and there's a brand for everyone too mm. some brands don't suit you so don't chase what's not you and that's in your in this whole realm of authenticity you got to be authentic to to you can't go that brand has money i'm going to i'm going to approach that brand because they've got money but you and have, they're completely not aligned yeah, with your brand yeah you have no desire to actually ever promote or utilize that brand or yeah, like you said it, it just doesn't make sense to you so, yeah. so almost like athletes looking at those brands as stepping stones more than partners um, mm. and that trying to use the fact that they've got money to get to the place where they actually want to get to um, as opposed to to being patient and waiting it out and making sure they connect with the right because that's I mean in South Africa there's so many examples of of, of athletes that for me make those mistakes of you know trying to portray themselves in in one way and in reality they're completely the opposite or they're portraying themselves in a way that is not favorable um and yet they're the completely they actually are quite reserved and and so they're trying to play themselves up to be mm. these like bad badass people that you know are, are crazy and all these kinds of things when in reality they're not and i think What's changed in these COVID times is that a lot of that kind of thing, brands see through that, but not mm. just brands, it's fans as well. Yeah. Like, if you're going to showcase yourself as you need to across digital platforms and in public engagements or whatever they need to be, you're going to, it'll be very, people are going to figure out very quickly mm. where you're actually at. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a big burden to try and continue on an act, so to speak, of like Travis Pastrana is Travis Pastrana. 
Yeah. He's a wild man, like, and that's and that's what he is. Whether he's on the bike, off the bike, with his family, Travis is Travis. And I think that level of being honest with yourself as an athlete takes a lot of courage. Mm. Um, and there's there's guys here that have done that. I mean, in a, in the cycling sense, Alan Hathaleys, Barry Stunders, Greg Minars. I mean, we've got them here in South Africa, and they've done that. And across many other sports as well, the Matt Troutmans of the world and the Ryan Sands and so on, like they they're true to themselves, mm. and they were patient about sticking to their guns. Um, outside of what we're talking about now, though, Ty, what have your observations been specifically during this hard lockdown of, of how things have, have changed for athletes? I mean, we've possibly touched on a bit of it already just through our general conversation so far. But, but have there been any big glaring holes that you've seen appear during COVID that, that have put athletes under more pressure than they used to or potentially also from a, from a brand side of things? Because to be honest, athletes have never needed brands more but equally, brands have never needed athletes more, at least opportunities to sell stuff to markets more than, mm. than now. Yeah, so I think uh, in, in that sense, the athletes have become more sales orientated or sales driven through the brands. Um, whereas before, I think brands were happy to just let athletes go off and be athletes. Go, performance based. Yeah, go, go you're, you're the performance guy, you're the social media or the, the coverage person. Um, we're all content uh, creator whereas now it's that line's been pulled in and obviously we saw uh, especially for us and the hard lockdown was content 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 mm. but also over content uh, produce, uh, over producing content creates boredom mm. and you you run the risk of losing people you also run the risk of unoriginal content yeah. I mean how many gym workouts can you actually watch uh, so, it it that that is one thing where where COVID because obviously with the events being gone, athletes lose that space, uh, that opportunity to justify well, I'm a top national or top provincial or top international athlete because they don't have that to to lean on. So it did go very heavy into to content base, but then also more strategically placed content that they are selling a product without trying to spoon feed you and put it down your throat and go buy this helmet this helmet is nice because it's got mips mm. it's like put out a video of you crashing and going good thing i had my my mips helmet on because uh it saved my life it saved my head it's uh, mm. that's i mean i'm i'm one to speak for that <laughs> that that was a pure plug from my side <laughs> whichever helmet you're riding make sure it has mips <laughs> so yeah, that's, I think that's been the biggest thing uh, that's changed over the last year is that athletes are more having to be more sales-driven than they are just marketing-driven. Mm. Their, their return on investment is actually, I got the sale done. That, that for me, though, doesn't like, and this is just personally, that doesn't necessarily sit right with me from an athlete's point of view um, because... I don't think it's realistic of brands to expect athletes to be uh, responsible for sales. I know mm. it's an expectation. Yeah. So what what I think and what is reality are two different yeah. things. Because in sponsoring athletes, I would never look at them as a sales solution. I look at them as a tool and a platform for the sales team to sell. Yeah. Like marketing's responsibility is to market and connect the brand with people. Sales 
his job is to use those marketing platforms that have been created for them and the and the avenue to market that's been created for them to then come in and actually sell the stuff mm. um and there's always major debate in the corporate space between marketing sales yeah. as to, marketing and sales as to who's responsible for mm. what but you can't blame a sales problem on a marketing team and you can't blame a marketing problem on a sales team the two are intertwined but getting it that balance right is really difficult and when you do it really then that just the results speak for themselves i think it's gonna get tough because some athletes are going to be naturally like good at just selling stuff through who they are and how they interact and then that puts an expectation on other athletes from a brand to be like well, you no. need to be doing the same thing i don't want to i don't want to lose my train of thought on this because yeah. i'm trying to get to the point where it's like i don't feel that athletes need to actively sell stuff to sell stuff mm. I feel, and if, if I'm a person that's going to act on an impulse of seeing someone using a certain tool to do a job, whatever that might be, and I feel it's going to add value to my life or enable me to do something that I haven't been able to do, then I'm going to be interested. So for me, as a, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Ty, but for me, it's less about selling the thing and more about selling what it will help you do. Because in, help, in, in doing that, you're then connecting to a human, to a need. Well, probably not a need. No yeah. one needs to go downhill at 80 k's an hour and need a full face helmet with MIPS. But as riders, we do need that because mm. if we don't have that and we crash, the consequences are high. Mm. That's also that. I mean, we can talk about this because we come from brand backgrounds. Maybe J Dog, not so much. Learning, not just slowly. yet. <laughs> but. Ty, we can talk about this because we come from that brand point of view. We come from having been professional athletes. But it takes it takes time to understand those nuances and, and almost stop selling the thing and more start selling what it enables you to do. Yeah, well, I think like a, the original question was what has changed in, in these times? And that's where, yes, by, by being more sales orientated was not literally like knocking door to door and trying to get sure. it. But yeah, I think you you explained it a lot better there was that you're inadvertently selling it in what it enables you to do yeah. safely. And something that I saw was a, a video, I think it was of Matt Walker, where it was about his story and, and coming up. And I think he was signing to the Shimano Pro, Pro team. And context there we're talking about a downhill mountain bike now if you're listening in and you're into <laughs> bass fishing and um, which is also rad and and also it was a it was a video of him testing out the products riding it because obviously he had come from a different brand and he was now trying the new products how they differ and he was saying his own personal um experience how it differed uh, what he liked about it what he thought needed to be changed and the feedback on the video was like so rad not to just be watching a jib and hit video the whole time is actually learning a bit and we've learned something about mm. that product and that mm. i mean we i mean you guys do it you guys do your tech tuesdays and people get to learn and when you start showing them the the reasoning for a dropper post or uh, what angle your brake levers should be at and why do you have it at an angle and not vertical it's it's that's that's where people start buying into what a, an ambassador is selling. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't even need to be an athlete. Like we said, uh, some, uh, there's, there's people out there that are not athletes that sell athletic goods just based on their truth. And it's, 
<laughs> you've got to be comfortable with your truth though and willing to take risk and telling yeah. that truth mm. one thing that did jump out for me um, J-Dog is when we when we um, had that catch up with Alan Hathley and moving from Specialized to, to Canada yeah. um, obviously media wants to get the spice in you know, is this bike better than that bike and so on and what I really appreciate about Alan in that scenario and if you want to check out that episode you can check out in the show notes below is that <clears throat> it wasn't a case of having to bash the one to build the other up he mm. just simply talked about his differences and what he had experienced in riding the two bikes to date. Yeah. And, and both of them, there are far more upsides to both of those pieces of equipment than downsides. We mm. didn't have to dig into any minute detail because the reality is they're both incredible products, incredible bikes. You really, I mean, they're the best they can ever get mm. in the world at this time. Um, but that's, that really, I, I, to be honest, up until that point, I'd never come across an athlete that was kind of, that objective and comfortably so yeah he was comfortable in telling his truth because back in the old days some brands might have looked at that and gone well oh, that well that's inappropriate you should be saying yeah. that that old bike was an absolute piece of junk yeah but i think brands have also grown up to know that that level of objectivity is actually yeah. what builds trust mm. with with athletes audiences and that's where the sell happens 100%. <laughs> Doug just mic dropping. <laughs> Leaving us speechless. That's the end of the show. So what do you think then, Ty? Like, are athletes as point of sales relevant? Or do you think that's a, a bad turn that's, that's happened now? No. Again, remember, athletes... Athlete, you send a proposal to a marketing manager. You don't send it to a sales manager. Yeah, you're not a sales rep. <laughs> no, you're not. So it is, you're marketing the brand and what it does. You're marketing the product and what it does for you and inadvertently trying to tell people what it'll do for them. Mm. Having, having the new Fox Pro Frame is not going to make me ride like Teo. Uh, having the new... Uh, Maxis Asagar is also not going to make me ride like uh, Greg. It's it's that simple. We've tried but that. It <laughs> definitely doesn't work. I want to send my, my Asagars back, Greg. I'm really not happy with them. <laughs> but, but, but there is something. There's, they're providing the cool factor and the what-if edge. Mm. It's like the, like the dropper post. Why, why are you guys so... I mean, especially uh, the two of you. Why are you so for... Dropper post. Mm. Why can't we not just Be go lightweight, carbon because seat Because it's post, illegal. It's illegal. Nice, exactly. <laughs> People die because of riding inappropriate seat posts. They it, go over the handlebars and lose their teeth and stuff. It, and it, then also hold us up on the trail when we're coming down. Exactly. That's so probably a, the main reason. So, so it's, not, so it's. I mean, that's it. That that is it. The experience that you get out of riding a dropper post mm. is so worth fighting that argument. That it's not an argument. You're, we're right. You're not, you're, not even, you're not even sponsored for it, but you're definitely going to tell people that the first thing you buy or upgrade on your mountain bike is make sure there's a dropper post on it. Hundred percent. Mm. And and and, and people have brakes are terrible. And we well yeah then yeah and the tires. <laughs> but but that's but that's the thing. It's making it's it will help everyone. Mm. Everyone stands to benefit mm. from that piece of information. It still doesn't mean you're going to ride like. A professional athlete i mean you talk about alan moving from specialized to to cannondale he could have moved to a pick and pay special and he still would have whipped all of us on any course that that we wanted to do there it, those those margins become so minimal at that level of mm -hmm. athlete but 
we do all sit there and maybe it's out of uh, the South African pride is I think uh, the stocks for Cannondale are definitely going up <laughs> because uh, guys are like, Rad, Allen's top 10 in at World Cups must be a great buck. I mean, it's like Scott were saying for how many years Scott's were saying we've got the fastest uh, cross-country bike on the market. No, you don't. You have Nino Scherzer. <laughs> That's what you have. Because yeah. I've ridden a Scott and it didn't go fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, in terms of athletes now in this kind of new age, because the reality is, is that when things do normalize, whenever everyone's vaccinated and normalize, that, that it's, it's going to be, it is going to be a new normal. And I think that a lot of uh, what has changed now will, will only amplify into this new, new world, so to speak. We're also seeing a lot of disruptive stuff happening in, in the sport of landscapes where because people haven't had events to watch and to follow, the people that have been at the top of their game from a performance perspective and getting these top results, like, yes, sure, people have always followed them. But during this lockdown period, and because we've got a lot of time on our hands, or at least rather had a lot of time on our hands, we started to investigate and find other people that are doing cool and crazy things. And one thing that has definitely come, or at least I've noticed, has come to top of mind is like there are a lot of really, really good people at doing all the things in the surf, mm. skate, wakeboarding, mountain biking, free riding that we never used to know about purely because we were just so distracted what was happening on in the event space all the mm. time. That for me has opened up opportunity to more athletes because we're now more aware of, of how deep the pool is yeah. so to speak which I'm really excited about because what in, what that means indirectly is it's almost leveled the playing field in, some, in many respects yes the performance and the results side of things you still need to get to that mm. but all the other things that make up a well-rounded athletes like a strong digital game building your brand and building your out of the racing environment persona everyone's now been brought down to that level mm. where even the pros where they used to rely heavily on results and didn't necessarily have a strong brand game and didn't have a have a strong digital game are now they've had to come down to this level so all the newer guys that are coming in where that's been the norm this is an exciting time to be an athlete manager looking for up-and-coming talent but also for athletes in terms of now having a bit of a better shot with brands and hopefully making stuff happen mm. What it also is doing is narrowing down the resources that brands have. And that's become like mm. the biggest thing is that, yes, there's... You can't again, sponsor everyone. Yeah, you can't sponsor everyone. There's, and now the, the brand managers are being conflicted between well, what has worked in the past, mm. getting the results, to the content is completely absolute king, to the, like you say, that the... the the unknowns or the more core have now become more mainstream more mainstream because they there's more eyes on them there's more people looking there's more so but and, and those guys are like the and girls are like the organically cool kids that mm. people are naturally gravitate towards yeah. you know they haven't they haven't lived under the pressures of racing and have to behave in certain ways they're just out there doing what mm. they like to do and they're doing it really well and they're authentic from the beginning yeah. which sets them up very nicely to just continue on that journey and not have to change their brand so to speak because i think a lot of these top athletes that we know not even like the the rung or two that are just below top athletes they're established it's very hard to adapt now mm. 
Yeah, well, I mean, also, I think maybe if we step back a bit, I th like you say, if we talk about up-and-coming or aspiring athletes to be, is I think they need to take the process back to what it used to be. Your, your local bike, skate, surf shop. That's where you start your sponsorship journey. Well, it actually starts with your parents. Yeah. Because they're going to obviously outlay your, your initial stuff. Um, or get a job. And um, But but yeah, it's go go back to your local. You, you were a waitress once, right? Yeah. I'll look pretty in that dress. Got lots of tips. <laughs> <laughs> tips to put pants on. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, it's that that's where it starts, and I think that's where guys have to go backwards, especially those that are only starting this process now. Get your your local your local shop. Get in there. When when I say sales, don't let it be ha holding hands like, hey Jay, we're gonna go buy this cap now so that the guys can see I've made the sale. Mm. It's people people will mention you if they see you out there at your local skate park or the local surf spot or trails they'll know when they walk into a bike shop or, or into their local shop they'll be like oh i saw x uh they're wearing that wetsuit or riding that board or riding that bike or i know i'm not going to be like them but you know what if it's going to give me an advantage to taste anything <laughs> remotely like that mm, then, then 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 i wanted to i want to go in there um that's where your name starts building to then be promoted up through there references is is better than anything else that you can ask for somebody else goes in like your your local uh, bike shop owner goes to the brand and says hey we've had a bunch of people coming in referencing this kid this kid is ripping on the trails um could we maybe flow them some extra stuff and you get your first set of free tires uh maybe it's two sets or whatever it slowly builds that way again go back to you're not going to be good today and get a million rand tomorrow or you're not going to be good today and get free bikes tomorrow that doesn't happen it comes over time comes over many years it's not just a one once you are good then it's a couple months but it's still it's still time there's no no decisions are made quickly i'm sure the 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 specialized cannondale deal wasn't done over no, one no. lunch no definitely not i know there's probably a lot of bidding behind the scenes that we that we we will never know about something you've touched on quite a lot in this conversation so far is around um reporting back on value so um you know five five rand ba based on your expense profile i think it's also something important to note is that when you're approaching a brand you're not selling an expense profile you're selling a value proposition and a value proposition is typically how am I as an individual and uh, going to create a platform or a, an avenue for you or the brand that you represent to sell stuff to the people that follow me in my ecosystem. That's a value proposition and the value of that will depend on ultimately sales um, and that's where things start to get a little bit more tricky because brands don't necessarily I mean, marketing mar the marketing team at a brand will measure a return on investment in a completely different way to to yeah. where that sales and brand does and to be to be honest even communications does so there's generally brand marketing communications and sales that make up like the four pillars of a value proposition and you as an athlete can't serve all of those 
when you're measuring, when someone comes to you and says, cool, Ty, this is who I am. I'm Jason Bull. I'm a young aspiring enduro rider. Um, this is how much I feel I'm worth, 200,000 Rand a year. How do you go about getting to the point of establishing what his true value is? Because I think that's also a lot of where athletes um, feel disheartened is that they go in really believing they're worth something and they come out realizing that they're actually not. And it's almost managing that expectation up front so that they don't take those rejections or the no's as harshly and, and continue to, to chip away at it and hopefully get somewhere. Yeah, so, so I, I mentioned earlier, it was like that when, when I ask athletes to give me what they have, when we initially have these conversations, I'm like, well, send me your CV, send me your proposals. And, and that is a, it's 99%, 99.9% of them will send me a proposal and actually have those costs broken into it, which is, which is wrong. Like a brand doesn't care that it costs you 4,000 Rand a month for your car or it's, you, you, get, you need 5,000 Rand a month to eat and, 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 and then it comes out at the end of the, or they don't even care that you need the money to, to go and compete. Like it's not up to them. It's not to their pay, responsibility. Yeah, to, to pay for you to go and, and gather UCR points or, or gather uh, surfing points on, on the QS. There's, like you said, the, the value to them is what are you going to do for them? And yes, a, a headline sponsor is not necessarily a million rand. If you feel your value is worth a million rand, we break it down to how do we get you to that point? Because it might be a case of two guys paying you half a million rand or is it 10 guys paying you 100 or is it uh, 100 paying you 10 like where where do we we sit on that so so we we sit through and we go through everything and i look at obviously i'd still look at what their their costs for the year are going to be both in the living and and travel expense because because there are costs of doing the job of being an athlete for sure and those those for me can be rationalized in a in a, in a proposal but they're kind of B tier, but but they shouldn't they shouldn't be in the brand space. No, no. like I don't want to see. It's not your, the sell. Your your your, gro- your gro- groceries are going to cost you yeah. three and a half grand. Like like that's not what we that what the brand wants to see. Brand wants to see a figure and what it is that you're going to do. But and again, what it is is you're not going to be spending it on medical aid and and housing and blah 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 blah. It's you're going on. You're doing these events. You your your social media content rollout is going to be x this is how you're going to present yourself in your launch of the the partnership with the brand this is how many videos or photos a week a month is going to come out what's your reporting going to look like every month uh communication is key with the brand so the more you talk to them without hounding them it's not an everyday thing but you do need to communicate with them and that also puts you in a in a good light because if something pops up and they need to change their marketing course and you're there in communication, you can do it for them in, uh, inexpensively because they've already agreed to do something for you. So, uh, well, to, to your package. And if it says you're going to post the video every week and all of a sudden uh, the shipment arrived early and they want to let people know, you can create some authentic content, marketing content, and say in-store now. At, at the end of it for for them or create the content for them to put out on their own platforms so yeah break, breaking it down it really is asking the athletes yes what does their life cost 
and then go and and what does it cost to travel and be at the level of competition that they want to be at or if they pure content creators what is equipment or pain of videographers and uh, photographers going to cost because that's a big thing that a lot of people leave out they're like oh i'll get my friend to shoot that friend's uh, favors are going to run out very quickly when mm. they realize over a year you got two new bikes and some travel budget and some some new kits and that and they were the reason for it so mm. guys must remember that that content is key and but if you're not producing your own content you need to factor in that you're paying somebody to do it and in doing so you should create stuff with the brand in mind that i want to send this to the brand and that's for them to own yeah just let your uh... <laughs> so it's also you know and the ga- and the shortfall i suppose is until you've got to that point where all your costs are covered and you're actually making a little bit of money because that was also something that was of real interest to me i did a podcast um, with richard murray um in season one where he said there's a very big difference between being sponsored and making money mm. um and being sponsored to be out there and competing is great but at some point as an athlete you have to be real with yourself and say okay well actually at some point i need to actually make money here um and again another another unexpected uh, pearl of wisdom that came from him um but but it just shows if you're using richard murray as the example now if you go back into his career and you look at what he's doing now and focusing on racing on the Super League series where he's paid to be there to to race. If he wins the thing and it's $100,000, you know, there's significant prize money up for grabs mm. because he understands that his window to actually make money, he's got his sponsors and his sponsors are stoked, but now he's pursuing making money. Yeah. I suppose that's more in a, 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 probably a, a more advanced sponsorship conversation for another time. But again, keeping with the Richard Murray example, one thing that he hasn't done is that he hasn't overloaded himself with sponsorships because that's also risk in the beginning is understand that if you've if you want a million rand in total and you get that million from four different sponsors at 250 a pop you're going to have to deliver that same outcome for four sponsors how is that going to impact on your daily life mm. at the end of the day you're still a professional athlete you've still got to do that job over and above the training sessions you've got to recover you've got to eat and sleep and again that previous episode speaking to matt uh, matt beers how much time he dedicates to just re- chilling in between sessions mm. it's if he's not training he's basically recovering yeah it's it's a real job and and that's in summary there it's that's what athletes need to look at this as it's a real job whether you, the idea or the illusion of going into becoming a professional athlete, unless you're in the football, golf, rugby, cricket space where you're going to become a national hero and like that's different. We're mostly talking about non-mainstream sports or, or lifestyle-driven sports here in South Africa. Um, you, you're never going to get to that national level of fame. Like perhaps Ryan Sands and Conrad Stoltz are the closest you'll see in getting to that level. Maybe a Dan Hugo, maybe. Um, but it's... It's, it's a full-on job, and I feel that more athletes that understand that and take it as a job will mm. probably be better served in the long run um, in terms of actually being able to stick with it. Mm. Um, another bit of, uh, bit of confidence I drew from, I can't recall who this one was with, um, is, is that um, regardless of whether you're an athlete or you're working in corporate, ultimately the grind and the challenges are the same, except... Yeah. Um, it's you're you're just you're doing it in in different um, 
kind of on different spheres in different spheres yeah mm. they, they run in parallel and each one is slightly different in, in very small ways but in principle it's the same you're going to have to manage politics mm. at some point as a professional sportsman sadly in South Africa managing politics in, in certain sports I mean if you look at the poor hockey teams and, and many others in South mm. Africa that make and like qualify <coughs> for Olympics and so on and then they're like oh no sorry well you're not going you know there's a lot of the politically driven stuff to sport here in South Africa that being said I mean, my brother's a multiple Olympian for Australia. There's a huge amount of politics that happens over there behind the scenes that we don't see because all we see is Aussies winning all the time. Damn you guys. But <laughs> it's, it's still there. Um, and I really do think that the more athletes, um, that the more that athletes figure out that this is, this is going to be a grind, this is, you mm. know, the highs are, are outnumbered by the lows. Um, and that's just par for the course. When they get to those situations, they're going to be better prepared. How uh, do you work with your athletes at all in terms of managing expectations and then kind of preparing them for the long-term journey ahead? I would say out of your portfolio now, Luke Moyer would jump to mind and that he's essentially closer to the juniors and yet he's an under 23. He's really, in many respects, struggling this year and making that transition. It doesn't mean he's any less talented. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be able to get there. But this is the time for him in his in his mental state where he needs to be comfortable with the fact that this isn't you know the guys in the corporate space aren't having more fun than i am and making more money than i am you know my mates that might be studying and so on drawing those parallels how much do you work with guys in that space yeah uh, quite a bit um so look it it is a job like you said it is a job and you're gonna have good days and you're gonna have bad days you're also gonna have things that you like and you don't like about it uh, being a professional athlete we love winning you love collecting the checks, standing on the podium. Those are awesome. But there's also, yes, people need to work at social media. Like you say, it's uh, the, you do need that time to recover. But at the same time, too, you do have expectations of sponsors that are expecting a post a day or post a week or uh, two a month or whatever it is that they're doing. You've got to control all of that. That's a part of your job. And with Luke in, in particular we've sat back now and we've we've chatted to trek uh nice thing too is also we like you said with the example of richard murray we cut back a lot of luke sponsors the little sponsors um that were helping him along the way to get to this point um so that we could focus on one or, or now two uh sponsors for for luke uh this year we were straight off the bat. We knew that this was going to be the case, that Luke was closer in age to the juniors in the under-23s. We knew the transition wouldn't be as smooth, especially with him finishing off matric. So we had that conversation up front with Trek, and we were like, great, this is now about producing content. It's uh, getting out good photos, high-quality imagery for, for their accounts as well as for, for Luke's, and, and video. And I mean... They've actually asked us to pull back now on him bombing down the downhill line on his <laughs> caliber, <laughs> super caliber 60 mil travel bike because uh, they fear what he's going to produce when they give him his uh, slash. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that new slash is, is, a, is a thing. Yeah, it's quite a beast. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess where I'm going with all of this is there's two there's two things. The one I've forgotten because I got sidetracked there by thinking about Luke riding the downhill on a 60 mil travel bike, which is insane. Um, but it's 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 a, it's the evolution of being an athlete 
in that all of the things we talked about now and having many sponsors and being responsible to many and still trying to train and recover and produce and produces another important transition that athletes need to make in their minds and this is as they evolve into becoming more established and having more meaningful partnerships is that you don't have to do it on your own you can build a team around you Mm. and that's ultimately where you come in because you will get to a point two three four years into your journey of being an athlete where you do need an athlete manager where you do need someone to help you hopefully through that process and managing your communications advising you on how to build your brand Instead of you going along and trying to figure it out as you go, there are people out there that know what's up and they can fast track that process. You can look at it as an athlete yourself and say, I don't want to manage it because they're going to charge me a commission on deals they sign and they're going to go out there and do X, Y, and Z for me. I'm going to save the 10, 15%. Well, you can't save 10, 15% on deals you don't have and you can't get in that extra four hours of sleep because you've been on the grind, which means your session the next day is not good enough, which then impacts your performances down the line because you trying to save the fifth whatever it is is that you need to get past that as an athlete of going well this is all me and i'm going to do it on my own and actually open up and say i need help on this and there are people out there like yourself ty that do that because it's exactly the same as business you start out as an entrepreneur and you have a great idea and you can only employ yourself for so long and what i mean by that is you can only be the ceo the accountant the marketing strategist the social media manager the content for so long eventually you're going to land a couple of clients and you're like whoa i can't do this all i need support exactly the same mental shift that you have to make as an athlete um but i feel that many south africans and of course we don't have global context but i feel like many south african athletes don't get that Mm. yeah and, and it's exactly what you said it's like they, they are trying to do it all themselves to keep it all themselves because they need everything they can get. But opening up to a team, you start getting access to more that you wouldn't be able to get hold of in the first place. Um, also, just from, from my sense with handling the, the, the brands is I've drawn all emotion out of it. There's, I, I want to get the deals for the athletes Whereas the athletes are almost going in, they need the deal mm. to, to get done. And brands leverage that vulnerability, make yeah. no mistake. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, you can't blame them. At the same time, too, brand managers have a budget and they're going to try and milk everything they can get. And if they can give you one helmet instead of three helmets and 10,000 rand a month, they're going to do that. And, and, and that's what they'll, they'll do until they've been shown that you A, you're worth it. And B, you're not going to accept it. We said that. Like, Don't just accept anything. Be able to stand your ground and go, but also be realistic that that is what you're worth. You, you need to know what you're worth in order to, to then go in and have these conversations realistically. And thankfully, with the background that I've had, I mean, coming from the athlete, I made plenty of mistakes. So when I'm talking to my athletes, I'm talking from pure experience yeah. of bad choices mm. and, and, and silly errors where... I could have got something but got stubborn and got nothing um, and I've also got good experiences from it where I've come out with with You've held your some, sometimes you know. I've also been like oh wow that worked uh, but now that it's no longer like a, oh wow it worked it's a it's a knowledge that I'm going and going that I'm almost having the conversation and I have it with the athletes if they insistent on speaking to that brand I almost go right I'm going to type your mail on what the reply is going to be 
and we send through the proposal uh, and I always chat with them it's they know what I'm sending through because you never want it to be a surprise um, so I send it through and 90% of the time the replies come back nearly word for word what I've said it's going to be and, and I've said to them this is why they're not going to have it this is what we've got to adjust and yeah we've we've I mean we've signed some some really good deals for for a number of the athletes we've strengthened relationships and that's one thing too don't always be shopping you don't have to be shopping out there rather look inside too because there's more you can there's always more you can offer and to get more out of who's already supporting you if a brand's been looking after you for a while don't just go and go well that brand's got money i'm going to go ask them speak to the brand ask them how you can get more because they at least you've had that rapport with them already and they can be like and they'll be honest with you and go hey uh, well we were thinking about that what what would it cost us and you guys can start the conversation from there it's it's the same as going to your higher up in a corporate scenario and saying i need a raise they're going to ask you the same questions exactly and, it's a and, job yeah and, and the, the reason I keep on harping on about the job thing is because I'm trying to rationalize it or help people rationalize it in their minds if they're listening in as athletes. And, but also at the same time, if people are listening in from the brand point of view, because it's almost, again, we can do a whole podcast on how brands should be looking at athletes. And mm -hmm. if they're looking to use sports marketing as an avenue through events and through athletes slash ambassadors, whatever that ends up looking like in terms of the mix between the three, there's definitely ways of doing it and there are definitely ways of not doing it and there's a lot of inexperience in the brand sport of brand manager space out there where they haven't traveled the journey that you've necessarily traveled to have those nuanced understandings of what it is to be an athlete mm. that that take it more as like an out and out you know traditional business transaction because while there are similarities it's definitely not traditional um, and that i feel that brands could they could definitely get a lot more out of their, their their athlete portfolios or their sponsorship uh, event portfolios that they hold, um, if they if they're probably more connected to to the industry, um, because I do, it's it's for me it's 50 50 percent athlete, 50 percent brand, and for me the brand's responsibility. Yes, you're there to maximize your budgets and so on and so forth. But the the sustain if you're taking it seriously and you want it to be sustainable. Um, you have to look at a model that because as much as brand managers talk athletes talk too mm -hmm. there are athletes out there that won't touch certain brands because the brands have terrible reputations mm. and as a result of that all the positive that you might be thinking you're doing as a brand in an industry is being undermined by word of mouth that people have been burnt by you in the past and they don't want to touch you I mean between the three of us I think we could probably list 10 brands that, that come to mind um, in the various spaces in which we play and that it's 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 uncommon common knowledge yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's the the yin and the yang and, and hopefully listening through this that you've picked up some value as an athlete or potentially as a brand manager um, and looking to to get into the space is there value in being an athlete and being a brand that's interested in getting into the space 100 percent. and ultimately people sell stuff you know it's through word of mouth and relationships and trust and, and all those mm. types of things how how real real sales happen not just uh, lots of adverts on TV and radio. Um, in terms of uh, kind of wrapping things up, Ty, is it's a generic one, but how do people get in touch with you? How do they start that process if they want to? I mean, you, you aren't someone that you're very particular about who you work with. 
what is how does someone start this process do do they need to be at a certain level before you'll even entertain them you done i'm done <laughs> yeah no so we're re reachable everywhere online websites instagrams facebook's linkedin uh, it's all under one movement and um, conversations are free i'm happy to talk to anyone uh, have a coffee um, or a beer depending how old you are but um, yeah um, I'm happy to chat look I've, I've chatted to a lot of kids as well that are that have contacted me and they've gone oh we we podiumed at the Spurs school series I'm like cool uh, and we've um, I've encouraged that and and that is like, good don't, yeah. don't, don't, no, don't no, no, get no, us wrong like, I mean those small wins are crucial it, I mean that's where it starts exactly but that's where I then point them towards the local bike shop if we, we stay in bike specific yeah. Um, we, it's everyone's got a journey, and it starts from the day they decide that that's what they want to do. I mean, back back in the day, we would go down to the beach. You'd have one good wave, and you'd be like, right, I'm going to be a professional surfer. And the only thing you knew to do was to just carry on going to the beach. Like yeah. we we didn't have to worry about social media or anything like that. I think only MySpace came online when I was already done with being a professional athlete. <laughs> so, shush. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I guess you don't know what mix it is either. <laughs> that blank look says it all. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, a, it's an exciting time to be alive sure, sure as an athlete that. and wanting to pursue it as a profession because I do feel that, that now more than ever they've had access to, to platforms, to building audiences, to furthering their impacts than they've ever had but in saying that it's also become more competitive they've had access to knowledge yeah. i think there was and that's what i wanted to do during the lockdown was speaking to brand managers and to other past professional athletes and current athletes is get their knowledge i mean you mentioned building teams one of the things that uh, we discussed with geordie smith was that he's got about 25 people behind him you see wow. you see an individual athlete standing on the podium you don't see that his wife plays her role in, in nutrition, checking his emails. Like You'd think that's a mundane thing. Why can't he check his own email? Could you imagine what the info at Geordie Smith's email account must, uh, must get oh, bombarded I've, I've with? I've sent him quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, sent but him quite a he's few got, photos. He never replies. <laughs> he's, got, he's got somebody that manages his website for him, someone that manages his Facebook uh, to a degree. He, oh, I mean, he has a manager as well in Damien Farrenfort, and he... He manages the sponsor posts on his Instagram to make sure that that gets out there. So from uh, Geordie's authentic side, he posts about what Geordie wants to post about. Yeah. And then Damon just makes sure that that's out there. He's got photographers in Hawaii. He's got photographers that he and videographers that he works with across Europe. Uh, when he's back in South Africa, he's got a sponsorship manager in South Africa. Uh, Damien handles his sponsorships in, in America. So it's... All of these people come together to make Geordie Smith who Geordie Smith is. He can't do that. On, he couldn't do all of that on his own. Because he said, when, when you're traveling, he's not able to post. So mm. somebody's posting whilst he's run from the podium to jump on the plane to get to the next event. Mm. Somebody's making sure that Geordie mm. Smith is staying live and yeah. active mm. uh, almost 24-7. And that's that's a big thing like you said is that you need you need the team and your team starts with with mom and dad as first sponsor and uh, and shoulder to cry on or or a, a lift to the to the next event 
and slowly it builds up as you get become more established and you get the help with the free product which might lead into a bit of a travel budget or a content creation budget um, get a photographer or videographer on board then it's yes if you get into the stage of getting a manager getting uh, assistance uh, from a, a physio um, mm. setting up regular appointments um, there's also so but you I mean in terms of what you offer you won't be handling like that that level of detail if an athlete comes to you your focus is to create or at least define that value proposition so knowing what they're worth and then actively heading I like you're not when from a management point of view you're not going to be the stuff that manages the admin the day-to-day -day admin of the athlete you're there to manage their brand and go and find their money and that aspect of it right and get them in touch with the right person yeah so through networks making sure like if they if they need in a photographer if they don't have one or they need in a videographer I've got a pool of at what level are you looking for is this a you need some content creation for your social media you need to pay the guy 2,000 Rand for the day to come come and shoot some stuff versus you need a full 15 minute production that's uh, big screen quality um, and you want a helicopter involved with it okay this is the company you need to speak to so yeah, I can that's when you phone while there exactly but uh, <laughs> the helicopter thing I didn't know it was in your budget it's not it's in your budget but then there's also um, yeah like putting them in touch like if if they need to speak I mean a, a mindset's a big thing uh, I'm definitely not a um, no you're not no, I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> in the position to a mental to, to, uh, a coach a, mental a, coach a life coach or a mental coach to, to help them deal well, with that do but, you know what Ty to be fair I think that basically if you advise people to do exactly what you've done but the opposite then that'd be um, sorted exactly. they would be they will be a for away <laughs> stay away from the crispy creams <laughs> well yeah j-dog i don't know about you i've i mean it's it's a surprise for me to admit this i've actually learned something from ty today those of you that hear the behind the scenes banter i've, I've had the you learn something the, from me every day the, the misfortune of knowing tyron for many years and um, but jokes aside i really respect what he does and 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 personally can see the value in in what he delivers hand over fist um and and hopefully more people can can enjoy that value too um J-Dog, are you still going to be working with Wild Air after this? Or have you, based on this conversation, decided that professional enduro mountain biking is a thing for you and you've secretly signed Tyron as your manager? I quite like stable income <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. No, but, I mean, for you to say that you've learned something from Tyron now is certainly significant because it's a space that you've played in a lot. I haven't been making a lot of noises yet because I've just been really sitting in and learning a lot from, from you. And maybe some of it is all quite obvious things, but it's just perhaps stuff that uh, I and other athletes or aspiring athletes haven't actually stopped to think about and and see it in the what it, for what it is um, plainest day things and I think the the way you speak about being an athlete particularly a professional athlete as a job is, is spot on and it, it exactly is that and that's what I've certainly come to learn um, over the last while you need to see it as a job you need to manage yourself well you need to be strategic and thinking how you're going to go about your your athletic career how are you going to plan um etc what yeah what support you need behind you uh, behind you um all those things it makes complete sense when you think about it but I'd, when you're a 
trying to figure Kid it in out. High school, seeing like Greg Minar on the podium, you just see the output and you like you see the dream and you're like, well, he's good at riding. If I get good at riding, that's going to be me as well. Or insert whatever sport and skill you want there. And it's it can be a sad like wake up to reality or like you lose the the dream there a bit. But I think if you can reckon with that and and commit to that part, you stand in much better stead to to realize the dream. Uh, realize the dream one day so yeah I've definitely learned a lot from this and I'm sure we'll we'll continue so what we were saying did make sense kind yeah of. Okay. No, it, it made, I wasn't quiet because I was like I don't know what's going on <laughs> I was just like wow that's sometimes wow. I listen but back to these podcasts and we're like whoa you really went off on a tangent that didn't make any sense so but, but I think just the podcast. I think just on that last thing something that we didn't touch on was you mentioned uh some of it's quite obvious mm. it's that obvious stuff that's usually the hardest mm. to execute properly mm. um, and the other is unfortunately you can't look at the Greg Minos and the Gabriel Medinas and that and go and make the comparison don't make a comparison to to that level athlete mm. if you're not that level athlete mm. you can't go well they get in millions I should be getting millions and and make that your proposal <laughs> because that's never going to work mm. those guys are only making what they make in because they've achieved what they've achieved yeah. you st aspiring athletes still need to get there and they need to start at the bottom and unfortunately it is a stepping stone for the way up and the sad reality is it's not for everyone oh for sure the, the work is hard yeah and uh, again another hard truth that i think a lot of athletes um would prefer to be in denial about is you know when you get to a certain point you are going to have to make a decision is this for me is this not for me yeah. and it's not unlike any other crossroads you're going to get to in any other spheres of your life it's just part of part of life and mm. um, so not to get despondent about it but to to know that those challenges are going to come to be prepared to make decisions and be honest with yourself in those situations because ultimately you will be a better person for it on the other end of it whether you continue being a professional athlete or you become the head coach for a tour de france team like ultimately you'll come out on the other end doing what you should have been doing all along anyway and you end up having more fun afterwards yeah because it's not so much the everyday graft it's if you're going to go ride your bike you gonna go ride your bike and it's fun and go have some coffee or beers with the boys afterwards or mm. girls and it's that's that's it uh, life doesn't end when when professional yeah. sports stops you found your niche clearly yeah. drinking beers and riding bikes <laughs> <laughs> tell people how, how you did it wrong exactly. <laughs> how they can do it right sitting in the forest freezing, freezing. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like it out here fresh air um, guys so so when do I tell you that all the red lights went off about 40 minutes ago I know no, they didn't but still good <laughs> so yeah, but those ones went off that hasn't been standing. on for ages no it's just the light they're on. yeah they're all on well uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode of something fresh it's been really cool to catch up with you ty thank you very much and good luck with your future endeavors into the space again if you want to get in touch with them check out the show notes below we'll link you to ty if you do have any questions um, or want to to put your cv in front of him for him to give you some consideration uh yeah it's cheers from our outdoor studio j-dog yeah. Uh, always a pleasure thanks guys good chats thanks guys uh, future tell guys to bring jackets <laughs> see you for the next one everyone cheers